Good morning, y'all. This is Dana from DAS Financial Aid Consulting Services and Financial Aid Compliance Solutions. I'd like to welcome you in Let's Talk Financial Aid for College. In today's show, I wanted to uh, make it all about aggregate loan limits for undergrads. Um, and uh, before I get started, I'll give you a little background as to um, myself. Um, I uh, have been working in the financial aid uh, industry for over 14 years now. Um, and what I do on a regular basis is I review student files uh, for mainly career schools. Uh, and I review them for compliance. So that's where financial aid compliance solutions comes in. And what I'm looking for is uh, those files that have been selected um, for a process called verification. And uh, also if they've been what we call C-coded. Now, typically what will happen is, is when these files have been selected by the department system, when the application is processed, we go into a review and uh, depending on if they're selected for the verification, then the documents that are requested are then submitted by the schools for review. And then if there is any questions or conflicting information, it gets sent back to the school and the school talks to the student and has the student um, provide additional information to, to resolve the conflicting information. When it comes to C codes, C codes can range for various reasons. And uh, one of those reasons is regarding aggregate loan limits. And uh, also, they can also um, encompass Pell lifetime eligibility usage. So what those two items mean is, is this. Uh, if you are a student and you have been a student for quite some time, meaning over a period of award years, uh, and you are looking to get additional money, your, your file is flagged. And uh, the, the one particular file that I was reviewing uh, this week that has stood out uh, and was a file that a student has been a student for quite some time, gone to various institutions, and um, whether or not they have completed their uh, bachelor degree, that is still in question. Um, but they're in the process right now of going to a career school um, to get a certificate in another uh, line of work. And uh, so it came across the, my desk and I was reviewing the file before I was going to um, process the award for this particular program that they are enrolling in and uh, the the file was flagged for aggregate loan limits it was flagged for also uh, Pell lifetime eligibility usage and it was also flagged for default status now when the department puts these flags up uh, we have to request um, from the institution for review a um, history from uh, a branch of the department called NSLDS. And what that 
information provides us with is the um, entire financial aid history for the particular student and that also includes all the Pell Grants that have been awarded and dispersed, all the loans that have been awarded dispersed, and uh, the type of loans, etc., and where they are with their grade level. So this particular file that is in was being reviewed the student started um, before the holidays, I believe, if I remember correctly, it was in the fall, and um, the student had been has been accumulating hours. And the program is not a very long program; it's actually only um, uh, about six hundred hours in length. That's a clock hour. So typically, a hundred hours per month. It's about a five-month course. And uh, so as we're reviewing it, mind you, the student started in the fall. Um, I believe the student's due to graduate sometime around the end of May. And uh, with all those flags, we need to get things resolved before we can award. So the default status didn't get resolved until sometime late last month. And uh, so again, the student's been accumulating these hours. Well, the problem with that is, is that per the department guidelines, it indicates that um, the student cannot be awarded Pell Grant money, if eligible, uh, till the default status has been resolved. So during the time the student started and accumulating, was accumulating hours until the default date of resolution the or resolution of the default status is what I should say uh, the student wasn't eligible to receive any grant money now when the hours were requested by the school the school provided them and the student has uh, just about completed half of the program so 350 hours has or over 300 hours I'm sorry had uh, been co uh, completed so I think they were closer to almost 350 hours if I remember right and in review of the students aggregate uh, loan limits and just so you know for independent students the combined loan limit is $57,500 that's a substantial amount of money of that amount of money, this particular student had already exhausted the sum loan limit, which is $23,000. And the uh, unsub limit was $52,500. So having said that, the student is only eligible when we can award this file, $2,000 in unsub. And then they're at their aggregate loan limits, the combined ag get loan limits for an undergrad of the $57,500. Now mind you, again, default status had just been resolved at the end of this month. And uh, the rest of the balance of the $52,500 is currently in deferment status. So having said all that, and also the student is flagged for Pell lifetime eligibility usage which means that the free money that the student could get if the bachelor's degree has not been actually obtained 
uh, is also um, going to be prorated because of the amount the student has already used. So they are only allowed the minimum amount, which I believe is only going to be if, again, they're eligible, um, about two thirds of what the award can be. So having said all that, I just wanted to kind of come on today and make everyone aware that um, the, the amount of money that students are in debt for is astronomical because of the $1.7 trillion in student debt that we have out there already. And of course, everyone's having an issue paying it, um, either because of interest rates or because of what's been going on this past year with the pandemic and loss of jobs. And we have some students, because I work with students as well, they're the mindset that they're going to be paying these loans for the rest of their lives. So there's really no rush in paying them off. Um, some haven't been able to pay on them at all. And uh, that's because, again, of either job loss or um, other circumstances that have come into play that they're just not able to make those minimum payments. And um, so it got me to thinking that there's a real disconnect out there between students and institutions that they're going to um, and when they get these offerings from these institutions everybody's all excited about going to the institution and they do get some of them give you institutional scholarships but it may not be enough to pay for the whole entire time that you're going to this to school um, you get Pell Grant which you don't have to pay back but you have these loans and these loans are something that you sign a note promising to pay them back but yet they're not getting paid back and while you may have as a student good intentions of paying it back and yes life happens and things that you didn't plan for um, the fact remains that these loan balances are out there they're ever increasing um, I did a podcast a couple of weeks ago about a story that I saw on C. I think it was CNBC had uh, posted it about um, students that are going on strike because they thought that, you know, that would be a way to encourage President Biden to do the loan forgiveness, which loan forgiveness isn't even part of the new bill, the, the COVID bill that just came out and they're calling it the COVID bill, but only a portion of that money is going to COVID and institutions are getting some money but all of this combined we have a problem and we need to take care of it so this particular file really struck me as being something that is a true true example of how disconnected this student is from understanding the debt load that they have right now. And to be quite honest, the school that this student is going to now, the plan for them to get the money for the program that they thought they were gonna get is no longer there. I mean, they thought they were gonna get all of this money for the, the student as far as aid goes. And granted, they saw that there was 
um, this file was flagged for those aggregate loan limits and also for the Pell lifetime eligibility. But they didn't, I think, fully understand when they accepted the student or as a student that they weren't going to get the normal $4,230 in Pell Grant or $6,333 in loan money in order for them to at least chip away at the cost of tuition, which is almost $25,000. And so, again, I'm just going to point it out that if you are a student, you really need to sit down and figure out where you're, what you're receiving as an offer from the school, meaning the school is telling you this is how much it's going to cost you to go to my to this institution. This is how much money you are receiving from federal student aid. Whether in Pell Grant form, again, you don't have to pay that back because it's free money. But then you always are awarded loans. Students are always awarded loans. There is no credit check as long, again, as you're within your aggregate loan limits you're eligible to receive those loans and they're going to be awarded. And then if you have a parent that's kind enough to apply for a parent plus and willing to take on that debt load, the parent plus can go up to the total cost of attendance, but that could only be for that year unless you're in a certificate program and then it will go up to, you know, cover the cost of the program. Um, but still that's, you know, quite a substantial amount of money if the parent's willing to take on that debt load. If the parent's not willing to take on the debt load, then the student has to come up with the money for the gap, meaning the money that is not accounted for for the cost of attendance minus the Pell Grant and the loans. So you really need to step back and think, am I going to be able to afford this amount of money to, you know, for several years? And it could be be maybe 10 it could be 15 it could be 20 years down the road in order to be able to afford the education that you're looking to afford and yes I know there's a lot of talk about how tuitions need to be decreased and um, you know colleges are cost you know charging X amount of dollars and how expensive things are nowadays and well the expenses are gonna go down and I can tell you that the relief bill that just got passed, it's only a tick into, and it's just like a tick into the, the amount of money that, that is owed out there. And now great-grandchildren that haven't even been born yet are gonna have to pay taxes to pay off this debt load. So it, this again is something that has got to be thought of. It's got to be discussed and um, it's got to be something that is taught to make sure that students are empowered and understand financially what they're getting themselves into for their education. And so I am actually in the process of launching um, a series on my premiere channel and it's going to be a teaching series and it's I'm, I'm hoping to get this out I shouldn't say hoping. I am going to get this out on the 1st of April so that um, it can, the recordings are 
can be heard. And again, it's on the Premier channel that I will be featuring all of this training to help students, their parents, and also uh, financial aid advisors open up the conversation and be able to talk to students um, about and their families about the cost of education and, and, and what it really costs. And uh, also understanding that, uh, you know, maybe going to a four-year college, just it, it might be something that you really, really want to do. But I can tell you that sometimes that's not the best choice. And the best choice may be going into a certificate program where you once you have that certificate, you have the license and you're able to go out into the workforce and start making and earning a living with the degree that you obtained and uh, loving what you do um, versus going to a four year institution where you may not exactly know what you want to do, but you're still getting credits under your belt. It's a little bit more of an expensive way and an expensive approach. And I'm not knocking the four-year institutions. I seriously am not knocking them. If I could have gone to a four-year college, I would have done it. But I was at a stage where I personally did not know what I wanted to do. And uh, I decided after a few years, after I had graduated high school, that um, I went to a business school and I ended up getting a certificate, um, a paralegal degree certificate. And uh, I, you know, was a paralegal for quite a number of years until I decided that it just wasn't my cup of tea anymore and I wanted to go off and do something else, which that's what life's about. You know, you're constantly learning. But um, again, I just wanted to make sure that everybody um, is going to be opening up the conversation about about what's going on and uh, just having a little bit more knowledge about the system of financial aid, how it works so that students and parents understand how it works. And again, for financial aid advisors to be comfortable having the conversation with those families because um, the independent financial aid advisors, those that don't work directly for schools, are able to teach families and, and, and the students um, about the system and, and talk about certain subjects that um, the financial aid departments themselves, the financial aid officers that are working in the school's departments can't tell you. And the reason why is because they don't want to discourage you from going to their institution because the whole idea is to get you enrolled and get the money into the institution because otherwise the institution wouldn't be able to function without the money because without the students, there's no institution. It's kind of like running a business. If you have a business and you don't have any customers, well, then the business is not viable. So that's that's how that goes. So today, that's what that's all about. Um, and and I just, uh, again, wanted to uh, come on and, and, and just kind of put that out there, let people think about it, something to chew on, you know, and, and, and really just think about it. And uh, if you have any feedback, um, I'd love to hear from you. And uh, you can contact me at danderson at dasfinancialaidconsultingservices.com. Uh, I am on Facebook under DAS Financial Aid Consulting Services. And there I have a business page, Financial Aid Compliance Solutions is there as well. 
Um, and DAS also has a Facebook group if you're interested in joining. However, there's been a few people that have tried to join the Facebook group and they're not answering the questions. And if you don't answer the questions to get into the group, you won't be able to be admitted. Um, and uh, But it's a good forum for the conversation to be had with regards to um, financial aid. And uh, there's a bunch of helpful tips there. And also, um, you can uh, connect with me on LinkedIn under my name, Dana Anderson. And I do have a business page, but that's under Financial Aid Compliance Solutions. So uh, I'm looking for feedback. So if you're interested in providing it, that would be great. Um, I'm also looking for folks that if uh, anyone's interested in calling in um, on a particular show or if there's a topic you want to discuss, uh, that would be great as well. So thank you very much for tuning in today. I, I greatly appreciate it. I hope everyone's well and um, take care.